Well, Tom's going to finish up his message on the fivefold ministry, and I want to encourage you. Uh, he, he, we, uh, we've been talking on Ephesians 4.11, the government of God, and he covered apostle and prophet out of Ephesians 4.11. And you might say, well, gosh, how does this apply to my life? It does apply to my life. We need the fivefold ministry, equipping the body of Christ for the work of the ministry. Amen? And I tell you, I really want you to realize this is such an important teaching that we need to get deep inside of us because some of you, of you, you are called to the fivefold ministry. Some of you will be equipping others. And I just want to encourage you, allow this word to get deep inside of you because it is, it is the government of heaven coming to the earth. Amen. And God did it through his son and his son commissioned the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher to equip the body of Christ for the work. And there is a huge work. Can I have an amen? amen? There is a huge work. And that's why we're praying for the decision that the Supreme Court justice is going, because we need to get to that work. Amen? So God bless you, Tom. We love you. Amen. I love you guys. Hey, babe, get the check out of my wallet and take it to the tithe, please. Sorry. Oh, wow. Man, God is good. I'm thankful that he's good even when I'm a stinker. Anybody be a stinker every once in a while? Yeah, that was a sinister laughter from a few of you. <laughs> oh, amen. Um, so yeah, last week um, we were talking about some of the signs of what an apostolic environment and culture um, looks like. And remember, um, there are a lot of different things that really start to clue us in on that reality that we are becoming the kind of church that Christ planted in the earth. And that's, that's the goal, is he, he had a model for his church, right? And it's our job to do our best to discover that and live it out. And there are some real important things that we have to have an understanding about his government and how, how heaven wants to flow to the earth. Um, because even though we have heaven in, each, in us, you know, eternity's in us. When you accept Jesus, you have all of God. It's in you. But there is a revelation of God that comes through the gifts that God has given us. The apostle, the prophet, the teacher, the pastor, the evangelist. And there's a way in which God likes to, to bring that revelation, that flow through us, not that you can't be a person who gets revelation, you're expected to. Amen. It is an expectation of God, it's an expectation that's clear in the Bible that you need a revelation that you got through your personal encounters with Him, not the encounters that someone told you about only. I'm going to talk about some things, and you can learn a little bit about God through that. That's why we do this. That's why we have this meeting. That's why TV has so many TV, because they're telling you about their revelation of God. 
The problem with the church is that we don't have our own revelations. And we try to live off of what someone else said, but we don't have the full understanding that they have. You know, even though I talk and I do my very best to clearly explain everything that's in my heart, there's not everything in my heart I'm able to get out to you. See, there's some things that words can't even describe that connects to my revelation of God and his word. So if you're living only off the diet of the things that come out of my mouth or anyone else's mouth or TV's mouth, if that's all you're living on, then you're not experiencing the fullness of God. You never will until you experience him. You have an encounter with him that your words won't be able to describe. Can I hear an amen? How about from the youth? Can I hear an amen? So enjoy what I'm going to say, but you better go get it yourself. And, and I am a practical application guy, and I love giving you things to do. And I remember Connie the other Monday or two ago when I started this. She goes, what am I supposed to do with this? I'm like, hang on. <laughs> Hold on. First thing, if, we, if I don't tell you, here's step one, two, and three, which I know we all love, but if I don't give you that or someone else doesn't give you step one, two, three, here's how you're going to align yourself with an, uh, an apostolic anointing. If I don't give you that, then your job that week is to decide through your own study if what I said was right. That's your job. So if I don't say, okay, this week, find three apostles, give them $100 each, and ask for them to pray for you. That would be great. Those apostolic people would love that. But if I don't give that to you, then what you do is you take what I said and you go look it up yourself. And you go, hey, well, I see what he's talking about. Quiet down. I'm not Eric. I don't need your interaction in a conversation. Okay? This is a monologue. One voice speaking. All you need to do is say, amen, I'm with you, hallelujah. That's all I need. Thank you very much. All right. So we talked about apostles and prophets. So today I want to look at the rest of the fivefold and kind of talk about as this flow comes through the, you know, and again, 1 Corinthians 12, 27, 28, it says, in the church. Everybody say, in the church. In the church. First, apostles, First apostles. Second, prophets. Second prophets. Third, teachers. Third teachers. And that's where I'm going to start. As we get this flow from heaven. As it comes to us, um, we have next in the apostle, we have the prophet, and then we've got the teacher, okay? Now, the teacher is generally accepted as the highest anointing level in the American church. In the American church, okay? Now, you understand the emphasis I'm making there. Not, we're not talking about the Bible church. <laughs> we're talking about the American Western culture church. The teaching anointing is the highest, most appreciated gift and anointing. But according to Scripture, 
It's only the third level of anointing. If we were given grades, it would be a C. Which means that when we have the teaching anointing at the highest level, then it keeps the church at average. We're just an average group of people. Averaging in our effect, averaging our influence. That's why for centuries now we've been arguing people into the church. Hang on, I'm going to get there though. But see, our need and the opportunity that is before us is we can actually upgrade this anointing to an A. And that's what I'm looking for. See, our, our current um, church culture, it places a really high value on the sense of security that we experience when we can prove the rightness of that which we have devoted our lives to. Right? I mean, who wants to give our lives to something and it end up being, whoops, that was a lie. Oops, kind of, sort of, all right. So in order to assert our faith, we assume that we have to be able to argue our case to a logical conclusion. Now, in reality, our need for uh, so much certainty actually comes from the great uncertainty that arises when God's presence seems to be absence from our midst. See, that's the American church. So much of the American church has no presence. And so we don't have that to help encourage and stimulate and strengthen and root our belief system. So all we have left is the logic. All we have is the pure truth. See, when heaven stops manifesting in the church, then Christians start to feel a need to be able to prove somehow that they are reasonable in, in following Jesus. This is the logical choice. It's as if Spock has taken over leadership of the church. It's logical. See, when the, when the power of the gospel is actually replaced by our, by our arguments, um, then, then guess what? We need to get concerned. When the power of God is replaced with a great argument, there's a problem. See, when cancer, paralysis, tumors, maybe even mental illness... When, when those things leave a person's body, no one needs an argument. I had a lump, and it's gone. I don't know how to explain that, but I know it's true. See, a person experiencing the touch of heaven is proof Enough that Jesus is who he says he is. But when the church um, insists on having a logical culture, okay, we also demand then a logical gospel. And so therefore we turn to the teachers. 
And most teachers are fixated on the written word of God. And a lot of times they believe that the written word of God is the only source of life and truth in the earth. Now, sometimes their value for the word of God is even much higher than the supernatural presence of God. And so the teacher can have a really deep driving need to be right um, and, and predominantly will see the world in terms of, of things, whether they're scriptural or non-scriptural. Because the teacher is focused on the word. And so the anointing of the teacher influences the church to do the same. Now, listen, <laughs> I am not trying in any way to devalue the holy written word of God. I love the Bible. I love it. It is ultimately important to me. But what I want us to understand is how unimportant heaven has become because of this disorder. You see, the teachers when they're the primary influencers in the church, and again, I say primary, many times they turn our attention to the law. And when we focus solely on the word, what ends up happening is we can tend to get in arguments among ourselves. We fight over What's this scripture mean and what's that one mean? And we end up pulling apart the body of Christ because there's a right way to believe and a wrong way. Of course, mine is the right. And, and every teacher is compelled to be right. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 15, out of the New Living Translation. I'm going to read this. 1 Corinthians 4, 15. We're just going to read that one verse in the New Living Translation. It says, For even if you had 10,000 others to teach you about Christ, you have only one spiritual father. For I became your father in Christ when I preached the good news to you. So, Paul is telling us here in this scripture that we have an enormous amount of teachers. Probably 90% of what we see on TV are teachers. And then the problem is, is that when teachers disagree, then there's division. So, question I want to ask is, what is the role of the teacher? What is the role of the teacher in the church? Well, 
in order for teachers to play their true role in the church culture, they will first, and everybody say first, they will first have to be willing to pursue a supernatural lifestyle. Say first, supernatural. They first have to be willing to pursue a supernatural lifestyle. They're going to have to become dissatisfied with the armor of just pure arguments. The lifelessness of just pure doctrine and theology. See, what's going to happen for for teachers if they want to really be effective is they're going to have to risk failure. Say risk. Say, I need some risk. They're going to have to risk failure. And and they're going to have to embrace the mystery of the gospel. Paul talks over and over about this is a mystery. Meaning, I don't know what to tell you about it. I just know it. It's just something. Figure it out. Pray about it. You may never learn about it till you get to heaven. Paul says these are mysteries. That tweaks the teacher. That tweaks the teacher. But they're going to have to embrace it. Now, the anointing of the teacher is always going to cause them to place a high value on education. Education. I love education. I didn't when I was younger. So I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I'll tell you like it is. I hated school. I hated reading. When I was in school, high school, before I was a Christian, I had never read one book. Ever. Not any of the ones required by my English class. I either got cliff notes, or I watched the movie, or I cheated on the test. That were the three options. Uh, But when Jesus came to my heart, hallelujah, when the anointing of the Holy One fell upon me, I began to read, and I read some more, and I read a whole bunch, and I kept on reading until Jesus gave me all I could take. You can come to my office and see my bookshelf. It is full. Bookshelves. I have two now. Two eight-foot bookshelves full. So things can change. Things do change. But you see, as the teacher values education, they tend to believe that a lot of problems are Mostly served and, 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 and solved by more training. Well, the problem is we just need another class on that. Or we need another Bible study. That, that's the way the teacher solves every problem. Well, honey, let me take you through the word. Well, I don't know how my husband, he's just so mean to me. Well, sweetie, let's go through the word. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong. 
But we have to have the supernatural power of God connected to it. See, when teachers come under the leadership of apostolic and and, uh, prophetic culture, that's when real change starts to happen in our lives. See, we take all that word that's in us, and it's supercharged by the power and presence of God, and it becomes living. It becomes real to us. In a supernatural culture, teachers are going to teach with supernatural results. Say hallelujah. You know, when Jesus taught a crowd about the kingdom of heaven, he didn't just teach them. Guess what he did when he taught them? He then showed them the kingdom of heaven. His disciples were immersed in this never-ending classroom of experience. Everywhere they went, Jesus taught, then he performed miracles. I mean, he took show and tell to a whole new level. And so, as teachers, we have to put the show back into our lesson plans. We have to put show back into our telling. You know, Bill Johnson from Bethel, he says, Jesus is perfect theology. He's perfect theology. If we see Jesus doing it, then we're on to something really good. If we've not seen Jesus doing anything like that, well, we better ask what went wrong. So teachers have to take the passion and the revelation that comes through Apostles and prophets and show us how it becomes practical truth. How it begins to apply to our lives. So the role of the teacher is to really help replicate the processes of the supernatural and then train and equip the church to cooperate with those processes. Now, the love and the scripture and the knowledge that teachers carry are are really designed to help them communicate some of the very complex um, processes that um, come through simple analogies and practical application. A guy who's great at this is, is Randy Clark from Global Awakening. Because Randy's both an apostle and he's a teacher, and he is a a prime example of this kind of communication style. See, Randy, his understanding of Scripture, um, he uses that to connect it with the mysterious revelations of God, to make it practical and to actually have an impact on our daily life. And so... What he'll do is um, when he models his training, he will train people to pray for the sick. Um, and, and what happens through his, his ability to break the scripture and the word and make the process simple to understand is they have tremendous results when they pray for the sick. And his, he uses these methods um, 
when he's at his crusades to mobilize large numbers of people. So a successful revival culture has teachers who perpetuate the supernatural. The days of teaching are limited. Experiences need to come to an end. And now we've got to learn how to teach what heaven is doing every day to everyone. Amen? All right, let's look at pastors. In case you haven't noticed, that word pastor is not even mentioned in Paul's list in 1 Corinthians 12 and 27. So, how is it that senior pastor has become the title of the most important person in the church structure? Well, I have a hunch. See, when a group comes together... It isn't long before that group begins to organize itself in such a way to get its needs met. So if you would imagine like a survival scene from a movie or maybe uh, one of those TV shows like Dual Survival, you know, Um, Survivor Man maybe, I don't know. But imagine like say a ship sinks or a plane crashes. The steps after that happens are usually the same, right? The priorities are always food, water, Shelter, safety, fire, and then hope for rescue. Right? Got to get my food, got to get my fire, got to get a shelter. Then let's figure out who's going to get us out of here. Now, the longer the rescue delays, the more another type of priority begins to develop. And so the question comes up, who is going to lead us? Now, the nod usually goes to the one with the most aggressive plan to save the group. You know, whoever's like, this is what we're going to do. We're going to build fires. We're going to do all. I mean, it's in the most aggressive plan. That guy's the leader. That girl's the leader. Now, if that doesn't work, (laughs) if their very aggressive plan still does not work, Then the group starts to think about long-term survival. And when long-term survival becomes the focus, the leader that they pick for the long haul is usually the one who is the most compassionate and steady, practical, and predictable person. This leader will make sure that the needs of the people get met. He will ensure that they remain civilized and safe. He will be their pastor. Everybody say pastor. So pastors, they emerge as long-term leaders when all hope of rescue is gone. We're stuck. We're stuck. We don't know when Jesus is coming back to get us off this rock. So, so what happens is people gather around leaders they believe that will tend to their particular needs. 
And so this tendency shows up in politics, shows up in business, and it sure shows up in the church. Now, if people's primary focus is on themselves, oh, are you sick of that yet? Focusing on yourself. If the people's primary focus is on themselves, they are going to elect a leader who has the same focus. It's as simple as that. Now, if the pastor is not connected to apostles and prophets, then their leadership tends to only lead people back to a self-focus. And the pastor will have to give them a natural alternative to a supernatural lifestyle. See, when a pastoral anointing is the primary leadership anointing of that church, the people expect to be the center of the universe. I'll never forget years ago, our beloved pastor went on his annual vacation to Canada and I was left to man the ship. (laughs) Oh, there was no hope then. Not only will we not be rescued and our needs are not going to be met. And I had that particularly told to me in a very eloquent way one night. Unlike Eric, I don't have my phone on in my bedroom. I don't sleep with it on. I'm not waiting for your call at 2 a.m. I don't want to hear from you. If you're drunk and in trouble, that's your problem. So someone called me with a problem. And I was fast asleep in my bed. And I never heard that phone ring in the office down the hall where I keep it so I don't have to hear it. Get up early the next day. See, there's a message. I answer it. Tom, it's blah, blah, blah. I've got an emergency. I've come across a couple of people who need housing, and and I need your help. Oh, wow, this is a big deal. Hello? Hello? No, I got voicemail. Hey, I got your message. Let me know if there's anything I can do. Click. A couple days later, I'm out here. I'm doing some work. Phone rings. It's this person. And they commence for the next 30 minutes telling me what a terrible, terrible pastor I am. Begin to lay into me about how I should have answered my phone when she rang. And that there was this great big problem that she couldn't handle all by herself. And I said... I'm sorry. I apologize that it was hard for you. That wasn't my intention. But I'm not a pastor. I'm not the kind of pastor that Eric is to you. And I'm not waiting for your phone call. And you are a big girl and you can handle the problem of putting two teenagers in your house for one night. Let me know if there's anything else I can do. Again, I am so sorry goodbye center of the universe is what that conversation was all about 
And we've trained the church to believe that way, to live that way. You have to be there at the drop of a hat. My life will fall apart if you don't rush in and save me. And I won't be at church if you don't. Now, unfortunately, a lot of pastors thrive in that expectation. At least for a season. <laughs> at least for a season. But when the pastoral anointing is connected to the apostle and the prophet, then what happens is it begins to provide another vital piece to how heaven flows down the earth. See, the caring and ca compassionate leaders, they're, they're necessary. Oh, we need them. We need them. They are, they are, in fact, they are the solution to the backdoor problem that apostles have. So they need the pastor to care, to notice that so-and-so wasn't at church. We have our staff meetings, and Eric will say, hey, did you see so-and-so was missing? No. <laughs> well, hey, did you, so, did you see? Uh, and then I'll say, well, where was this person? Well, they were there. I didn't even see him. <laughs> yeah, this one was on the third to last row, two seats in on the left side, red hair. Uh, <laughs> what? Wah, 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 wah. I, I don't get it. Sorry but we need it. We need that desperately. And so pastors in a revival culture can help bring leadership to the people. They are the leaders who will be in the lives and in the homes and in the families. They are the leaders who will sit down with them and work out your marriage problems. Thank God. As a part of my cross, I've done it occasionally, just to be like Eric, <laughs> just so you'll love me a little bit. I can see it hasn't worked, but I tried. Oh, I tried. <laughs> but that's what the pastor does. They are leaders who, will, who, who know about your struggles. Again, Man, if I want the 411, I just spend 10 minutes with Eric. Find out whose marriage is falling apart. I find out whose kids are falling apart. I find out about what great things are happening so I can be aware as well. Because I do want to be aware. I just don't want to talk to you about it. <laughs> I want to pray. And I want to preach and teach something that will help you. So I do care. <laughs> Just in a different way. Oh, thank you. Oh, dear God. So, so here's the thing. If, if pastors can learn, if the shepherds among us, and it's not just, we're not just talking about Eric, okay? He's just a great example of one. I'm talking about all of us who have shepherd anointings and who have that bent, 
who have that care, that compassion that just oozes out of you. You're, you've got that shepherd anointing on your life. If you can just begin to maintain a dual focus, like one on heaven and one on the earth, that's the key. Is keeping my heart in heaven and bringing it to the earth. If they can just bring that, then they can bring heaven onto the people. They're the ones who actually can bring a revival culture to the everyday lives of people. And so maintaining that balance, um, that balanced focus, it requires effort. Because pastors naturally want the people to feel loved, connected, and protected. So what pastors can do is they can bring the nourishing presence of God into the lives of us. They connect people to the supernatural environment created by apostles and prophets. Instead of leading people to themselves and then showing them the love that they have who are hurting, Pastors can begin to lead people into the presence of God to find the solutions for themselves. So it's the pastor's good pleasure to to see the saints find the green pastures of freedom and comfort. that have become made available through apostolic ministry. Say freedom and comfort. So that's the pastor. Finally, let's talk about the evangelist. And so the the evangelist is like the final piece in heaven Invading the earth. See, the design of the evangelist is to ensure that heaven's flow that comes through the apostle and the prophet, the teacher, and the pastor, that 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 flow reaches its intended target audience. And it's those who are held in darkness. See, the evangelist anointing causes his or her primary concern and ministry motivation to be the souls of those who don't know Jesus. And realistically, unless the ministry of the church is uh, reaching those who don't know the Lord, then the whole point of the others is really pointless. I mean, it's pointless that apostles and prophets and teachers and pastors are doing their thing if it doesn't reach the world. So I believe it's really time for the ministry of the evangelist, which is both reaching the lost and equipping the saints to do the same. I believe that it's, it's really time for, for the evangelist 
to be more deeply integrated into the larger purpose of apostolic ministry. You know, it's easy for us to believe that anyone can lead anyone to Christ, right? And we don't struggle with that. Oh, I can lead people to the Lord. And we have great faith that when we pray with someone to accept Jesus, that that person really got born again. I mean, I don't struggle with that like I do with healing sometimes. Hey, you want the Lord? Let's pray and have him come into your heart. In Jesus' name, amen. You're saved. And I leave believing. And we all do. But see, the, the culture of most churches, it has an evangelical practice on its people. Teachers teach it. Pastors encourage it. And the evangelists, they beat their drum everywhere they go. We've got to reach the lost. But the bigger question is, then what? See, the kingdom of heaven invading the earth is the number one goal. Not unsaved people invading the church. Now think about that, what I just said. The goal, the number one goal, is heaven and the kingdom of heaven invading the earth. That's the number one goal, not the unsaved invading the church. So the cooperation that has to happen between all of the ministry gifts is really the only way that we can accomplish the primary objective of the church. We have to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in in carefully and intentionally aligning ourselves with the flow of heaven and all its power and all its freedom coming to the earth. When we do this, then the importance of the entire Christian church being fully equipped by all of the ministry graces will soon be a concept that's widely accepted. Is accepted as praying for someone to receive Jesus. So, what I've been talking about is this flow, this flow of heaven that comes through the fivefold gifts. And when we begin to align ourselves in this way, as it is, it, it's as if God Himself is pouring heaven into His church. It's like, it's like Moses pouring the oil over Aaron's beard, over his head and through his beard. God pours his supernatural world into his, like, his end of the funnel. You know, this big funnel. And he pours, he pours the supernatural world into it. And then heaven gets processed through and released to the earth through the fivefold. And again, at the top of that funnel is... Who? Everybody say it. Apostles. And then next is, and then after the prophet, it's the teacher. And then it's the pastor. 
And to bring it all to its big point is the evangelist. Apostles and prophets, their anointing creates this pull, this, this desire and hunger for the kingdom, for the anointing, for the supernatural power of heaven. And then teachers are to take that revelation and bring stability and understanding by, by putting it through the scrutiny of the word of God. And then the pastors help the people to partake of the banquet feast that becomes available when the atmosphere of heaven is on the earth. And the evangelists, they love to take it to the streets. And they make sure, they make certain that we have not forgot that the intended, the intended target are those who are lost. That's, that's where this is supposed, the glory of God, the glory of heaven, it's for them. That's where this is going. You know, the many wonderful effects of a supernaturally charged environment, it really creates an overwhelming reality for us. I mean, really, we're not in Kansas anymore. Toto. I mean, that's the feeling. <laughs> Life as usual. We're over it. I'm done. I'm tired of it. But if we can get this right, then not just in this building on Sunday mornings, but in your home and at your business and with, at your school and in your classroom, glory can follow you wherever you go. That's the experience we're believing for. That's what Jesus said when his kingdom comes. It's to invade everything. And if we can, we can grasp this, if we can come into agreement with it, it's going to be a powerful experience. It's, it's, it's a wineskin that is fully capable of carrying and releasing the outpouring of God that has been promised to us. God's promised in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on your sons and daughters. Your young men will dream dreams and your old men will see visions. That's what we're contending for. But we can't accomplish it under the American church culture system. It has to be a heavenly one. It has to be a biblical one. And when we align ourselves, I, begin, I believe we will begin to see those things. We're already seeing a hint of it. 
We're, all, we're already experiencing a, a touch of God's supernatural power. Let's stand up for as we close. Now again, I've, I said this in the beginning. This is not everything there is to know about the fivefold. This is an introduction, if anything. But it is enough that we can begin to make some adjustments. And really the first one just becomes in your head. That's really the adjustment. And our thinking and our believing. That's how the world has changed. I really feel, you know, as we face this, the merit definition of marriage, and I feel the Lord building a message in me about how really everything about heaven and hell is really about changing your mind. That's all it amounts to. Every agenda that's out there, its job is to change your mind. That's it. That's all it takes. If, if, if heaven or hell can change your mind, then they can shape culture. And right now, the church is under a massive pressure to change its mind for evil. That's why Paul said the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're, they're strong and mighty, pulling down strongholds. We take captive what? Every thought. Every ounce of evil that's in the world is nothing but a thought manifested through the lives of those who agree to it. So Paul says we're supposed to fight the thoughts, the paradigms that are out there. And embrace the right ones. And what I've been sharing the last two Sundays, it's a right paradigm. So let me pray for you. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that shifts would begin to happen in our thinking. That shifts would begin to happen in our hearts. That God, we would see that this is not something has to die so something else can be great. This is about adding to God. I thank you, God, for the wonderful example of the pastoral fivefold gift that Eric is. We thank you for that, Father, and we honor it, God. It is necessary to be present. And all we're asking for, God, is now to increase the revelation of apostles and prophets. To help teachers align themselves with the supernatural way of heaven. And that those who burn for the lost would take the power of heaven to the streets. So God, change our minds. Help us to long, no longer conform to the pattern of this world, but to be renewed through the word of God. So today I pray for us, God, again, change our minds, shift our paradigms. Show us, God, if this be true. 
Lead us to the word, God, and help us see how heaven is supposed to invade the earth. And I thank you, God, for the gifts of apostle and prophet and teacher and pastor evangelist. God, if there was any of those gifts, Lord, that that we have diminished in our hearts, God, we repent. They may not all be our favorite subject, but we need them all, God. So forgive us. We thank you, God, for the supernatural kingdom of heaven that's invading the earth, that's invading our lives, that's invading our marriages, our families. But God, we want to see it invade our schools and our workplaces and our marketplace, God. We want to see it manifest in those places more, God, than it ever has. So awaken us, God. Awaken us to be carriers of the kingdom to every environment that we invade. Father, we love you. We worship you. And we thank you for all your goodness towards us. I pray, God, you would bless the day you give us safe travel home, Lord, that your will would be done on the earth as it is in heaven. And everybody says, Amen. Amen. If you need prayer, prayer team will be available here after service. If you'd like to grab a buddy and just come to the altar and pray, you can do that. God bless you. Have a great day.